Welcome to the serialized audiobook, Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy. Written by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Pandemic is also available in print, ebook, and unabridged audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com slash pandemic. Chapter 16 Know Your Enemy Polyus and Ramirez approached a small firehouse. The building looked medieval, two stories of grayish tan granite with small faux turrets on the second-story corners. Its red roll-up door looked just large enough for one fire engine to enter or exit, but nothing was going in or out thanks to the long, white public transit bus that had smashed into it at an angle. At the bus's rear end, almost to the sidewalk, stood two cops, one black, one white, both dressed in heavy blue coats, their fingers laced behind their heads. Their breath billowed out in expanding clouds that glowed thanks to a nearby streetlight. The men looked both hopeful and afraid. A black XDM automatic pistol lay on the snow in front of each of them. They had their hands on their heads because two seals, Bosch and Roth, had M4s at their shoulders, barrels aimed at the cops' chests. Polyus slung his own M4. He drew his sidearm, a 9mm Sig Sauer P226, already fitted with a suppressor. He aimed it at the two cops as he came up on Bosch's right. Bosch report. I saw these two exit the bus's rear door, Bosch said. Thing is, advanced recon looked through the bus to make sure there weren't any bad guys hiding there that could fire on the column. When they checked it, the bus was empty. Five minutes later, rangers marched through. These guys come out of it. Polyus glanced at the bus. There a hole in the front of it that leads into the firehouse? I checked, Bosch said. Didn't see any openings. I also did a walk around the firehouse. Couldn't find a way in or out. The place is locked up tight, Commander. Polyus glanced at the building's red-framed windows. In every one, behind broken glass, he saw the dull glint of metal. The cops had fortified the place. Polyus had to keep his men moving. Every second they spent here was a second wasted. He looked at the cops. What do you two want? The cops looked at each other, then back at Polyus. The black cop spoke. We want you to get us the fuck out of here. We've been in there. He tilted his head toward the firehouse behind him. For two freaking days. They looked normal, but the mission was here to rescue one man, and one man only. We haven't seen anyone but you, Polyus said. Why didn't you come out sooner? The white cop answered. Right after Paris burned, we were ordered to protect the engine. We were inside the firehouse when things really went to hell. There were psychos everywhere, hundreds of them. They were eating people. We called for backup, for someone to come and get us, but no one's answering anymore. We didn't think we'd make it on the streets, so we kept quiet, boarded the place up. Then we saw you guys, you soldiers, the black cop said. You came to rescue us, right? So how about you stop aiming that goddamn gun at my face and get us out of here? Polyus could imagine what it had been like to hide in that building, cut off from communication while cannibals roamed the street. These guys were cops, public servants, probably as brave as any soldier. 
but he couldn't let them go. They had seen his entire force. If they were captured, they might talk. And, of course, they might already be infected. He could test them, but what was the point? The stakes were too high to take even the smallest of chances. Polyus knew what he had to do. God forgive me. He pulled the trigger four times in just over a second. The suppressor made each shot sound like a snapping mousetrap. The first two shots hit the white cop in the face. The black cop had barely enough time to raise his eyebrows in shock and surprise before the next two rounds tore through his skull. Both men dropped instantly. Blood mist hung in the air, slowly drifted down on top of them. Polyus switched his mic to the all-units frequency. Commander Klimas to detachment. No more delays. If anyone approaches the detachment, assume they are hostiles and put them down at a distance. Quietly. Make as little noise as possible. Repeat, as little noise as possible. He turned to Bosch. Let's move out. Chapter 17 The Park Tower I am going to kill you all, every one of you. I will wipe you off the face of the earth. Margaret ran through the dark streets, doing her best to stay close to the nasty little soldier in front of her. Ramirez, his name was. What a fool. If she got the chance, she'd slit his throat from ear to ear and bathe in his blood while he tried to draw air. And yet here he was, guarding her, clearly ready to risk his own life to protect hers. The CBRN gear made it hard to move, but it would protect her from Cooper Mitchell's disease. Hopefully. The crawlers had found a way through her BSL-4 suit. The Hydras might have that same ability. She would stay as far away from Mitchell as possible. She didn't know how she would kill him, not yet. But as a last resort, she had the holstered Sig Sauer P-226 strapped to her right thigh. She would just have to watch for her chance. Take out Mitchell, then slip away into the city. She heard a short bark of gunfire, then another. She and Ramirez followed Clarence and Bogdana. They jogged past a car where CBRN-suited rangers were setting up a tripod-supported machine gun, pointed back the way they had come. Other rangers were manually pushing cars into a loose line. They were setting up a perimeter. She saw two soldiers running wires to small green boxes that were labeled Front Toward Enemy. The rangers' gas masks made them all look the same, made them look like the identical insects that they were. Past the perimeter rose the 70-story Park Tower Hotel, a pale, tan spire reaching up to the black sky. Ramirez led her to the front of the building. She saw an arced glass awning that had once sheltered guests from the rain as they entered and exited. It wasn't sheltering anyone anymore. The only glass that remained stuck out in jagged shards the body of a man dangled from a support beam. Icicles of blood pointed down from the ends of his fingers like stubby red claws. Once upon a time, a rotating glass door had kept out the Chicago winds. That, too, was nothing but shattered glass and twisted metal. Clarence approached and stood next to her. The mask hid most of his face, but not his eyes. He looked at her with a pathetic expression of hurt and confusion. It would be nice if she could kill Ramirez. But to murder Clarence? That wasn't just a luxury. More and more, Margaret needed that as much as she needed to breathe. Maybe her kind would descend upon this hotel and slaughter these soldiers, 
She would have them string Clarence up by his feet, cut him apart a piece at a time. She'd slice off his eyelids so he wouldn't be able to look away as people smiled at him and ate those pieces. She stared back at him, not wanting to give him any satisfaction at all, not wanting him to think that things were okay between them. Until she had a chance to kill him, she wanted him to hurt. He turned away, walked into the hotel. Margaret smiled a little, then forced that down. She was still surrounded by the enemy. She had to be careful. She heard gunshots from inside the hotel. She heard men yelling, but couldn't make out the words. Those sounds were lost as one of the helicopters roared overhead. A bullet plinked into a car to her right. Then something hit her, knocked her face first to the glass-strewn entryway, pinned her there. The soldiers realized she wasn't one of them anymore. They were going to kill her, slide a knife into her back. They... Sniper, Ramirez said. Stay down, Doc. From high above, the helicopter let out a new noise, a short but intense demon's roar. The faraway sound of tinkling glass smashing against concrete joined the cacophony. Ramirez rolled off her, lifted her to her feet. He looked her up and down. You okay, Doc? She nodded. I think so. Broken glass. I was rolling on broken glass. Ramirez, do you see any cuts in my suit? He gave her a cursory glance. The suits are thicker than that, Doc. You just look! Ramirez nodded, then checked her all over, placatingly, but also thoroughly. She was entering a building crawling with the hydra strain. This place was death. Any cut, no matter how small, could spell the end. Looks clear, Ramirez said. You're fine, Doc. And the slobby is secured so you can relax. She let out a genuine sigh of relief. Ramirez led her deeper into the lobby, which looked even more like a war zone than the streets outside. She recognized details from the YouTube video. The fire pit, now spotted white with windblown snow. Corpses that had frozen solid and still wore jeans and winter coats. The soot-blackened ceiling the shredded reception desk. The only thing missing was the body on the spit. Maybe some of her kind had come in here, decided not to let good food go to waste. To the left of the fire pit, rangers were unfolding portable tables and unpacking the equipment she'd asked for. Tim stood there, directing them, using what was left of the reception desk as the lab's main area. Margaret looked around. The CBRN-suited rangers seemed to be everywhere, they were setting up more of the tripod-supported weapons by the ruined door, and also in the lobby's broken windows, creating a field of fire out onto Chicago Avenue. More rangers were undoubtedly setting up similar positions all around the hotel. If her kind attacked, these soldiers would mow them down by the hundreds. Other rangers carried large weapons to the elevator, which surprisingly seemed to still be working. She saw Klimas conferring with the ranger commander, Dundee was his name, at what looked to be a hastily constructed command center, complete with laptops and soldiers already working away on them. She saw Klimas reach up to the small earpiece at his right ear. He stared off, listening, then said something she couldn't hear. He jogged to a stairwell door, calling out as he went, Ramirez, Bosch, Roth, with me, you too, Otto. We've got reports of hostiles in the building, so we're going straight for the package. 
Elevator gets us there the quickest, so let's move. On the way in, she had been the package. Now that they had reached the hotel, that term referred to someone else, Cooper Mitchell. Klimas and the others were headed to the 18th floor. On the form he'd submitted online, that's where Mitchell had said he would be waiting. In room 1812. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Chapter 18 Under the Bed Cooper heard a helicopter. It sounded big, loud, like military helicopters did in the movies. He also heard occasional blasts of gunfire. It had worked. Someone was coming to save him. He just had to stay alive a little bit longer and hope the rescuers got to him before the cannibals did. The hotel still had heat. Anywhere but downstairs, where winter winds swirled snow through the lobby, the park tower remained well above freezing. At first, that had been a welcome discovery. Now, not so much. If it were below freezing... The dead bodies up here wouldn't have rotted, bloated, and the corpse he hid beneath might have been frozen solid instead of turning into the wet, reeking mess that sagged down around him. The smell was enough to make him vomit, but to do that would be to make noise. To make noise was to die. Die, or worse. You ain't gonna eat me, motherfuckers. You ain't gonna eat me. The motherfuckers in question were close. They were searching every room in the hotel. Earlier, he'd risked moving down a few floors just to keep checking his surroundings. On the 15th floor, he'd heard two men talking, talking about his YouTube video, talking about their search for him. 
It had seemed like such a good idea to upload that video, to make sure people knew who he was so the government couldn't just make him disappear. He felt so, so stupid now. But it had never crossed his mind that the video would make all the murderers in Chicago want to waste him. Cooper had thought about running to a higher floor, but he'd waited too long, and now he didn't dare. They were on the 18th floor. He'd barely had enough time to implement his next bright idea, dragging a sloughing corpse into room 1812 and hiding beneath it. His brain didn't seem to work right anymore. Too much stress, too much horror. He didn't know. He was smarter than this. He knew he was. If only... Noises coming from the next room. He moved slowly, adjusted the weight of the body on top of him, pressed his ear against the wall. He could hear muffled voices. Check under the bed, one said. Stop telling me that, said another. There's no space under these beds. Cooper started to shake. He slowly shouldered the corpse a little higher so he could reach down to his back. Quietly, so quietly, he drew Sophia's pistol. Ain't gonna eat me, Sophia. Not like I ate you. No fucking way. I got four bullets left. Chapter 19 The Package It seemed so odd that the hotel still had power. Clarence was grateful for working elevators, though. Climbing 17 flights of stairs would have done him in. He was the only one wearing CBRN gear, which made him feel oddly out of place among Klimas, Bosch, Ramirez, and Roth. Beep! They passed the 15th floor. We're almost there, Klimas said. He reached to his chest webbing, pressed a black button. Radio check, do you read? The three seals, Bosch, little Ramirez, and the big fella, Roth, all nodded. Clarence nodded as well. Beep! They passed the 16th floor. Bosch, cover the right, Klimas said. Ramirez, the left. Roth, out and left. I'll go out and right. Bosch and Ramirez knelt by their assigned corners. M4s pointed straight up. Noise suppressors attached to the barrels made the weapons look long and mean. Clarence drew his Glock 19 from the thigh holster strapped to the outside of his suit. Where do you want me? Klimas raised an eyebrow. You. I want you to stay out of our way and move when we tell you to move. Maybe it was the impossible stress of the situation, or maybe his frustration with Margaret sitting squarely in harm's way. He wasn't sure, but Clarence felt a wave of annoyance. I know what I'm doing in a fight, Klimas. I was special forces. Ramirez laughed and shook his head. Klimas grinned. Special forces, huh? How nice. Know what you're not? A member of this team. You're here because Margaret doesn't want anyone exposed to Mitchell's hydras. You've got the CBRN suit so you can handle him. Other than that, kindly stay out of our way. Beep. They passed the 17th floor. Cooper heard the door open. A rectangle of hallway light filled the dark room, lit up the face of the bloated corpse on top of him. Gross, one voice said. It stinks in here. Dead body, said the other. Damn, it smells too far gone to eat. 
Cooper couldn't see them. He heard their feet shuffling across the carpet, coming closer. Check under the bed, one voice said. Chuck, said the other. If you ask me to look under the bed just one more time, I will shoot you in your stupid face. Something in the dead body popped softly, bringing with it an even more rancid stench. A trickle of fluid leaked out, ran down Cooper's forehead and onto the bridge of his nose. His left eye closed automatically as the foul liquid trickled across his eyelids. Just go away. Just go away. I don't want to be eaten. The elevator doors opened onto the 18th floor. Bosch and Ramirez, both still kneeling, leaned out and aimed their weapons down the hallway. Bosch's weapon let out three snaps. Click, click, click. Klimas stepped out with his weapon pointed to the right, stock tight to his shoulder. Roth moved out at the same time, his weapon pointing left. Klimas fired his M4 once, another snapping click. Clear left, Roth said. Clear right. Klimas said, Otto with me. Clarence stepped out. One body lay down the hall to the right. A woman, face up, dead eyes staring at the ceiling. Klimas spoke quietly, firmly. Bosch, take point, let's move. The seals did just that, moving without a sound, moving faster than Clarence would have expected. He found himself jogging to keep up. As they passed the woman, Clarence looked down. Three red spots were spreading across her chest. A fourth bullet had blown off the top of her head, splattering her brains across the carpet in a rough oblong. A black thirty-eight revolver lay near her right hand. Clarence checked off the room numbers as he passed them by. 1804, 1805, 1806. Room 1812 would be down the hall, just past a left-hand turn. Coming from that direction, he heard the faint sound of men's voices. The lights don't work, said the first voice. All the bulbs is broke. You can see fine enough, said the second voice. Man, look at that nasty body. That is so gross, said the first voice. Move it so we can see if anything else is under that desk. No, you move it, said the second. Cooper felt numb, like he wasn't even there. And maybe he wasn't. Maybe this was all a fucked-up dream, and he wasn't hiding under an oozing, rancid, bloated body. Maybe he wasn't hiding from two men who would shove a signpost up his ass and slow-roast him over a bed of coals. Flip you for it, said the first voice. Okay, said the second. Call it. Go away. Just go away. Just go away. Kill myself. Kill myself now. Jesus, please help me. Please. Heads, said the first voice. Asshole, said the second. Hold my gun. Cooper felt the dead body on top of him start to slide off. He raised Sophia's pistol and squeezed the trigger.
Clarence heard the roar of four quick gunshots. A pistol. Sounded like a forty cal. Klimas's calm voice in the headset. Go, go, go! Bosch and Roth sprinted around the corner. Cooper was still on his back, still covered in dead person sludge, pointing his pistol up at the bearded face of a very surprised man. Cooper had fired four times and missed all four times. His hand shook so bad that the gun looked like some poorly made stop-action movie. That's him! The words didn't come from the bearded man, but from closer to the door. Cooper looked over. A man wearing a red and black knit Blackhawks hat cradled two weapons against his chest, a shotgun and a rifle. Holy shit! The man said. That's him! He fumbled with the weapons. He dropped the rifle, started to bring the shotgun up. The rectangle of light from the hallway wavered as someone stepped into it. Cooper heard a click, click, click. The man with the shotgun dropped. The bearded man turned to face the door. Click, click, click. He twitched, then fell to his back. He lay side by side with Cooper. The man's chest heaved. His eyes blinked in surprise, but only for a few seconds. Then they stared out at nothing. Clear! A voice called out. Another answered the same. Cooper looked at his hand, saw the empty pistol was still in it, then shook his hand to let it drop. To come through all this and then to be shot. What if it was too late? What if they were going to shoot him anyway and... Cooper Mitchell! He looked up, saw a man in a gas mask, covered head to toe in a heavy chem suit. Through the eye lenses, Cooper saw the man inside was black. Cooper Mitchell! The black man said again, You're Cooper Mitchell! Cooper nodded. The man reached down a gloved hand. <sighs> I'm Agent Clarence Otto. We're here to rescue you. Cooper couldn't speak. His vision blurred as the tears started to flow. He reached out and let Agent Clarence Otto take his hand. Chapter 20 Dr. Feely's Bedside Manor Tim Feely had just finished setting up a centrifuge when the elevator opened. Two men stepped out. Clarence, in his CBRN suit, with combat webbing strapped to his chest and a pistol holster strapped to his thigh, and none other than the guest of honor himself, Cooper Mitchell. Mitchell wore a tattered, filthy winter coat. Gray slime smeared his face, making the whites of his eyes seem all the whiter. The man looked crazy with a capital C. Hell, probably even a capital Z to boot. Clarence guided Mitchell by an elbow, escorted him to Tim's impromptu examination area. It wasn't much. Basic medical equipment set up on the reception desk's remains. A portable table stacked with a centrifuge, a microscope, and some other lab gear. Just things that could be carried in by hand. The rangers had thrown in a cushy swivel chair they'd found in the office behind the reception desk. Tim pointed to the chair. Put him there, please. Might as well make the crazy carrier of what could be humanity's salvation as comfy as possible. Clarence eased Mitchell into the chair. Mitchell's eyes flicked everywhere. Left, right, up, down. Yep. Definitely a capital Z. Tim also looked around. Where the hell was Margaret? She'd insisted on this mission. He saw her, 
over on the far side of the lobby, just standing there in a CBRN suit that was too big for her, staring at Mitchell, doing absolutely nothing. Why wasn't she helping? Tim felt a hand on his shoulder. Clarence. Feely, you want to get started or what? Tim turned to look at the shell-shocked Mitchell. The man had been through hell. He'd worry about Margaret later. This man needed help. Yeah, I'm on it, Tim said. He moved to stand in front of Mitchell. Mr. Mitchell, I'm Dr. Feely. Don't mind this wacky suit. I assure you there is one damn handsome man behind this mask. I'm going to examine you, okay? Mitchell suddenly stood up, his fists clenched, his body shaking with intensity. Tim took a step back. Examine me on the boat, Mitchell said. Or in the helicopter, or plane, or whatever the fuck you're using to get me the hell out of here. Clarence stepped forward, put himself between Tim and the crazy man covered with rotten goo. Clarence had his gloved hands up, palm out. Mr. Mitchell, please calm down. Dr. Feely just has to run a couple of tests. Tim moved to the side, used his best soothing voice. It won't take long, Mr. Mitchell. You look very dehydrated. I'm going to put in an IV and get you some fluids, okay? While I'm doing that, I need you to tell me your recent history. When you came to the city, what happened after that? Mitchell closed his eyes, shook his head so hard his cheeks wobbled. No, no, no. All you need to see is this. He pulled at his jacket sleeve, slid it up until half his forearm was exposed. He pointed at a puffy red spot a few inches above his wrist. That? These things pop, and a day later those motherfuckers die. Tim tried to control his excitement. A pustule, the same thing he'd seen on Candace Walker. Was that little blister full of hydras? Slow down, Timmy boy. Do this right. Take care of the patient first, then go from there. I see, Tim said. Mr. Mitchell, do you mind if I call you Cooper? The man shrugged. Uh, sure, I guess. Good, Cooper. Now, just let me get that IV into you, okay? Your body needs fluids. Cooper stared off, nodded slowly. Okay. Okay, but I'm not crazy. I'm not. Of course you aren't, Tim lied. As Tim ran an IV needle into the back of Cooper's wrist, the man started talking rapidly. His story began with a man named Steve Stanton and a trip out to Lake Michigan to find plane wreckage. Cooper's best friend, Jeff, some guy named Bo Pan, a high-tech fish bot, Arrival in Chicago, a night of drinking, a few days so sick he could barely move. Jeff, gone. The incident in the boiler room where Jeff became something other than human. Fleeing the Trump Tower, meeting a woman named Sophia, whom the bad guys murdered. The bad guys getting sick and dying, making the video and waiting for help. Tim felt for the man. Cooper had been through so much. Forget the capital C and Z. This guy was all caps crazy, with some exclamation points to boot. But Tim also sensed Cooper was leaving out a few bits of information, rather disturbing bits, based on what he was willing to share. But his babbling tale provided a quick overview on the Hydra Contagion's morphology, 
It was everything Margaret had hoped for, and more, the ultimate weapon against the converted. Cooper's story ended with him lying under a decomposing body, which explained the slime. Tim felt suddenly grateful for the CBRN suit, which filtered out most of Cooper's rather pungent stench of death. That's everything that happened, Cooper said. I told you what I saw, so now you can get me out of this city. Soon, Tim said. We have a little bit of work to do here first. Cooper's hand shot out, fingers clutching Tim's thick suit. He pulled hard, his face mashing into Tim's gas mask, their foreheads touching, the mask's lenses the only thing separating their eyes. Get me the fuck out of here! Clarence stepped in fast and grabbed Cooper's wrists. An instant later, the man lay face down with Clarence straddling his back. Tim just stood there, not knowing what to do as Cooper thrashed and screamed. Get me out of here, you assholes! Get me out of here, please! Please, I don't want to die! Calm down, Clarence said. You're not going to die! He pulled zip strips out of a pocket in his webbing, and in a flash had Cooper's hands bound tightly behind him. Clarence picked the man up off the floor and set him in the swivel chair. Cooper Mitchell stared out for a second, then began to giggle. <laughs> die! 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 Am I tasty? Death is die! Dirty! Delicious! <laughs> the man's screams echoed through the ruined lobby seemed to make the rangers skittish. Clarence gave Tim's shoulder a light smack. Would you shut this guy up? Tim reached into the med kit and found a vial of Atomidate. He quickly prepped a syringe, then injected it into the IV line. Cooper continued to struggle for a few seconds, but quickly lost energy. He babbled a bit more, then his head dropped. Tim could agree with Cooper on one thing, at least. He also wanted to get the fuck out of Chicago. Don't drug him too much, Clarence said. We might still need to move on short notice. Now get to work and find out if he's got our magic bug. Tim again looked across the lobby. There was Margaret, still watching, not making any movement toward them. If she moved any farther away, she'd be out on the sidewalk. Clarence, get Margot over here, Tim said. This is supposed to be her show, man. We still have to thaw out the bodies from the lobby so we can get blood and tissue samples. Clarence shook his head. I'll get some rangers to help you. Margaret told me she needs to examine the room where we found Mitchell. She said that's the best place to start for environmentals. What? But that doesn't... Stop talking. Start working. I don't want to stay here a second longer than we have to. Clarence walked to the elevator. Margaret joined him, as did the seal named Bogdana, who carried a limp CBRN suit under one arm. Just before the doors shut... She looked at Tim for a moment, then stared at Cooper Mitchell. Even through her mask, Tim saw Margaret's eyes narrow into slits of pure hate. The elevator doors slid shut, and they were gone. What was she doing? If she wanted to look for environmental factors, she should be starting in the lobby, where Mitchell had videotaped the bodies, where the converted had died. Tim shook it off. Margaret knew what she was doing. He turned back to the unconscious Mitchell. Well, Mr. Mostly Unconscious, let's find that magic bug so we can get the hell out of here. I really don't want to be here long enough to find out if I'm die, die, delicious.
Cooper Mitchell didn't say anything. Tim got to work. You have been listening to Pandemic, book three of the Infected Trilogy by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.